1: Hi, I'm KSL's Debbie Worthen. Four years ago, my son Asher was diagnosed with autism. After getting our footing, we decided it was time to celebrate the news with all of you. And that's how Celebrating the Spectrum was born. Each week, we consult with the experts and others who are learning to navigate life with a loved one who has special needs. This is a place where we find hope, look for solutions, and connect with those working to create a better world of inclusion. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Celebrating the Spectrum. Now, part of the journey of learning about autism after your child gets a diagnosis is the deep dive into research for information and resources. Well, as I was scrolling through Instagram, an influencer with autism said this book is a must read. So I ordered it immediately. The book is titled Uniquely Human, A Different Way of Seeing Autism. And the author is today's guest, Dr. Barry M. Prezant. Dr. Brazant, thank you so much for being with us today.
0: It's my pleasure to be with you.
1: I want to read a few of your credentials. Now, if we wanted to take a full hour, I could read all of them. But let me just give our listeners a little bit of background here. So Dr. Prezant has 50 years experience as a clinical scholar, consultant, researcher, and program consultant to children and older persons with autism spectrum disorders and related neurodevelopmental disabilities and their families. Prezant is recognized as one of the world's leading scholars in autism spectrum disorder. So I want to start with that because because I always want to build the credibility of our guests and your reputation precedes you. So, thank you for coming on. When I started reading the book Uniquely Human, I the first part of it, and it was the acknowledgement page, and it said to all individuals with autism and their families in the hope that this book will help them gain what they so deserve understanding and respect. I knew we were going to be friends. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So so in your writings, I really got the impression that you have connected on a very important level with so many families and people impacted by autism. Uh, What has it been like over the years working with and meeting so many of these people?
0: Well, it's been my life's journey. Um, It's, you know, one of the things I say right away, and I especially say this to younger professionals is, you know, understand that, you know, getting to know autistic people and families and watching families go through their journeys, um, watching kids grow up to be young adults, that's going to have an impact on on your life um, just in terms of understanding the diversity of humankind. Uh, Not only that, I think some of the coolest people I know are on the spectrum and I mean that respectfully. I mean, talk about thinking outside of the box, talk about really trying to overcome challenges and struggles in a world that maybe as many autistic people say, in a world that wasn't necessarily designed for them. That Mm -hmm. was designed for non-autistic people. So the journey's been fabulous for me. It started out as a teenager um, working in summer camps, and I still look back on those years, those early years, as the formative years and the the years that really fueled my interest and passion to be doing this for 50-some-odd years.
1: Yeah, Talk about that summer camp, because you start with that in the book.
0: Uh, Yeah. Um, I was a kid growing up in New York City um, and uh, in a middle, lower, middle class family. And my father was able to get me a job working in this print shop in Manhattan. I remember it was noisy and greasy. And my girlfriend was working upstate. New York as we say outside of the city Um, and and it was a camp for she was a musician and she was a music teacher for children and adults with disabilities and she said Barry you know we need another counselor Uh, we just fired one could you come up and I said oh god yeah I'd love to get out of the city first time out of the city for me Uh I was 17 and I landed in in this camp which you know looking back now quality wise wasn't the greatest Mm -hmm. But the people I met, my campers, I just kind of fell in love with working with children and adults. And and, um, also, uh, I was beginning school um, in psycholinguistics, so I was very interested in language and language development. So there was this intellectual interest as well. Why did these people have such problems communicating? Mm -hmm. Um, And that carried me through into speech pathology and communication disorders and six more years of working at summer camps.
1: What year was that?
0: That was 19—I'm trying to always try to remember because I went to Woodstock. (laughs) And Woodstock is 1969, and I think this was probably—it was the summer of 69. Okay,
1: so—oh, there's a song about that, isn't there? (laughs) Yeah. yeah, 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 All right, you know, so things have changed so much in that time. time. What was it about those people at that camp, those kids— that made you want to learn more because you describe in your book how you just enjoyed them so much.
0: Yeah, I, I think a, a lot of it was, um, and actually, one of the themes of of uniquely human is this that I wanted to understand why they did things that they did. Um, so there was a, a young man um, named Stephen, I remember, and he had this uncanny ability. Uh, to wake up in the middle of the night, that wasn't the uncanny part. But <laughs> I'm like, I
2: have
0: that too. He would put on um, the new James Taylor album that just came out, and he would always be able to find the song In My Mind, I'm Going to Carolina. And so at two or three in the morning every night, he would go over to the old record player, find the song, turn it on, and rock and sing along with James Taylor. And uh, he had an incredible memory for music. Um, so that was like wow that that's something else here right. but there was I, I could tell you so many stories of the individual kids um you know I, I talk at the beginning of my book about this adult um on the spectrum named uncle eddie and uncle eddie just went on complimenting everybody all the time you know mm-hmm. so he, he would come up to me and I, I think i gave this example in the book come up to me and say barry you look so handsome today
2: <laughs> right and
0: yeah just I, I was interacting with people who behaved in very different ways, and I wanted to understand that, even though I was finding even some of the counselors the senior counselors were trained to have the kids stop doing a lot of that stuff
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and that actually ended up being my doctoral dissertation a number of years later in understanding why um a lot of people on the spectrum repeat speech, which is called echolalia. Right. Um, uh, so it, it's, I don't know, I was interested both, uh, I was fulfilled emotionally helping out these kids and adults, but I was fulfilled intellectually as well. Right. Um, in that it, it, it drove me to want to study what was going on and have a different way of looking at these individuals. Yes.
1: Well, what's amazing for me when I read your work, it's so refreshing to see someone who has so much knowledge, who studied this for years and really has a love for the people themselves. You know, you you don't ever go into this like we need to fix these autistic kids. And I want to I want to talk about that, because in the time frame that you started your studies, that was sort of the the mindset These kids are broken. We need to fix this. We need to fix this problem. How did you or why did you think, no, they're not broken. We don't need to fix them. We need to understand them. What was your thought process there?
0: I was so fortunate from very, very early on to choose a focus on child and human development in my studies. So I was in programs for, I'm a speech language pathologist and I was in programs for speech and language, but when I went up for my doctorate, almost all my coursework was in developmental psychology. Now, why is this important? Because if you look at every person as an evolving human being, it gets you away from, and the term that I, I started using a number of years ago is it gets you away from pathologizing the person. You want to understand why they do what they do. How does that fit into where this person is in their developmental journey, in language, in emotional development? So I was I was very fortunate. So many people in the field started out in trying to fix kids mm-hmm. and, and, and pathologizing kids, and actually some very Good people in the field now say, oh, but then I learned that was the wrong way mid-career. I never had to make that change because I had wonderful mentors and my studies were all about child and human development. I studied multicultural aspects of development. How is it that kids growing up in Africa in an agricultural society can be emotionally healthy and as healthy emotionally as kids growing up in upper-class families in the United States?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it asked, the answer, by the way, is responsive caregiving, that wow. when caregivers are responsive to children, then children gain trust, they feel grounded, mm-hmm. um, and they take risks in development. You know, they're, they're just good, solid individuals. So I, I was always exposed to what is called developmental approaches to understanding development. At the time, some of one of the founders of applied behavior analysis, Dr. Lovas, you know, was saying, well, when kids repeat speech, that's psychotic speech, we have to punish that. Mm -hmm. Or if they flap their hands, we have to punish that. Um, And unfortunately, you know, that led to not only a lot of problems, but now adults on the spectrum are saying, some are saying they were traumatized by those kinds of Mm -hmm. Mm things. So so I I don't wanna get into the weeds too much on that part. Mm -hmm. But the point is people like the late Dr. Lobos and some of his colleagues, and I'm gonna be quite frank, knew nothing about child and human development. Interesting. They knew about changing behavior using operant conditioning approaches, but when I look back now even, and look at some of the writings from that school of thought back then, I say, oh my goodness, you know, a master's student in speech and language knows more about language development than what these people were saying back then. You cannot respect an individual child or a person and the challenges they have as well as their strengths unless you know something about child and human development. And that's what I taught and continue to teach, you know, in all my workshops and and when I teach university students. Yes.
1: So you also have a podcast called Uniquely Human. Let's just give that a huge shout out. It's so amazing. (laughs) And one, one thing you were talking about that I was listening to was you were saying, you know follow that instinct that parental instinct and even when the experts are telling you things and i almost cried when you talked about parents saying well i'm not an expert i'm just the parent of a kid with autism and and you are the expert when you're a parent of a kid with autism you know and i really loved that so much because i can't tell you how many times i've gone into meetings and iep meetings and i just feel so inadequate He's like, I, I don't know. You guys are the professionals. I don't know. Our pediatrician, who I love, he said, if I ever tell you anything in here, or if you ever go into a school that you're looking at for your son, and you just do not feel right about it, he's like, that does not feel right. He's like, you need to trust that first and foremost. That for first and foremost, that is what you need to trust for your son. And I love you were saying that same thing.
0: Well, I, I would say. Just from that one example, you have a wonderful pediatrician (laughs) because there are many experts who write out prescriptions for different therapies, and that's not what supporting a family is about. Supporting a family, if you are a professional, is about being a resource and let the parents make the decision as to what the best fit is for their child and their family. Now, granted, some parents are going to say, well, you really are the expert, and I don't know what's best. And I like what you just said. is kind of go back to your gut, you know, and then say what feels right. Or if you take a path that as you proceed down the path and you say this just doesn't feel right for us, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to say that, um, and that's big. But there are still so many pediatricians out there who – believe one approach works and they've been indoctrinated into that, even though they don't know a lot about autism. Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
0: And, uh, you know, the war stories that I hear every week from parents about, in some cases, parents are angry. They feel they've been misled. Why didn't they tell me that there are other ways to support my child Mm -hmm. or different approaches? Um, But let me say where this comes from. As with learning about child and human development early on, I also was exposed to parents' parents very early on Um, and I used to go to the parent meetings of in the old days was called the National Society for Autistic Children that's the Autism Society of America Um, and one of my professors used to take me to those meetings and I was put in a setting where I heard parents pretty much uncensored (laughs) talking about their experiences and that by the way led um, to our Parent retreat weekend, which we've been doing for 25 years now. I do it. My wife is a clinical psychologist and a nurse in the Harvard Medical School. And her work, her name is Dr. Elaine Meyer. And her work doesn't focus so much on autism, but it focuses on the parent experience of having a child with medical illnesses. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of overlap there. So my point is that the parents who I became close with in the late 60s and into the early 70s were the ones, and one said this to me, it's in my book, you know, the professionals we feel most comfortable with are the ones who don't judge us. They're the ones who join us on our journey. Um, And I've taken that to heart my whole career. I am not there to dictate, to judge. I will give an opinion if I'm asked for my opinion about a different approach or whatever it might be, but I'm there to kind of bear witness the journey that the parents are, and hope to be a guide if parents want me to be a guide.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of that saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's so true. As a as a parent of a child with autism, you do feel judged a lot by a lot of different, yeah. different arenas. So in, in this book, you have uh, four different ideas. And the first, which I love so much, and that is ask why. And I think as you send your kid into school and you start getting... the reports each day of how the day went, you know, oh, meltdown over this, or this happened, or this happened. My question always, and, and I have sat in IEP meetings where they're saying, oh, well, he's saying this because you're making him feel this way. And in my mind, I'm like, no, he's saying that because that's a quote from the movie Twister you know, and, and I, you know, you don't want to be combative. And I really, I never want this to be combative or angry, because the whole idea is celebration and celebrating the spectrum, because I feel like that is so valid, with what little I know about my six year old son at this point. But the asking why is there's always a reason something is happening. So tell me how you how you came up with that.
0: Um, Again, let's go way back to summer camp, but a little bit beyond that, my doctoral dissertation, okay. Mm -hmm. So I was interested in language, being um, a speech and language pathologist. Uh, And as I mentioned, echolalia is fairly common, you know, in speaking autistic people and kids. So at the time, what the research and literature was saying, primarily from a behavioral orientation, was that it was meaningless parroting. Mm -hmm. And I'm working with kids and... A classroom for autistic kids and that was back in buffalo children's hospital you know lifetime ago and i'm saying wait a second you know when you say do you want to go out and the child says do you want to go out and they run to the door they're saying yes i want to go out
2: mm-hmm.
0: or if you say would you like something to eat and the child says something to eat a cookie um where they echo and repeat so i'm saying wait a second this is functional communication mm-hmm. Um, Maybe it's a little unconventional because you don't expect a 6 or an 8 or a 10-year-old to repeat speech that much. Um, So the bottom line was I did a videotape analysis over a year of kids who used a lot of echolalia. I analyzed 1,009 echoes Mm -hmm. (laughs) and found out that often the kids understood what they were saying or they were using it. The technical term is they were using it for different communicative functions, But the research at that time was saying discourage it, tell kids to stop. Mm -hmm. It's psychotic speech. It's meaningless parroting. So that was the first big why that I asked. It was the why are kids echoing? Mm -hmm. And that expanded in our work to why does he rock? Why does she flap her hands? Okay, and there are so many whys that have been pointed out. You know that we need to look at in people with autism. But again. The approach was, okay, well, if he rocks too much, it looks strange. Tell him to stop rocking,
2: mm-hmm. all right?
0: Um, so many things we could talk about. If he sits and puts his hands over his ears and go, uh, 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 tell him hands down. The why there might be, the environment's too noisy, mm-hmm. or maybe I didn't sleep well the night before and I really can't sit in my morning circle time or meeting, um, and eventually the field started looking at the why, and now autistic adults are telling us all the whys that they do things. Right. Um, and, and actually, that was, you know, you know I've been so fortunate uh, that the book has been embraced by autistic people. Um, of all. Right. that's so great. Colors.
1: Yeah, that's a huge and, accolade. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and a big reason it's been embraced is they respected the fact that I emphasize on asking why, because many of them say nobody asked why I did that. They just tried me to try to stop me Mm -hmm. from doing it. Some cases they punished me. Um, So in our latest podcast, uh, which is not out yet, uh, we interviewed Lauren Ober, who's an award winning podcast person she's a journalist okay she's as funny as can be a little plug she has a, a new podcast coming out called the loudest girl in the world Love so it. the reason i'm the reason i'm we're talking about this she spoke on our podcast about how she loved to talk and she would talk incessantly about stuff and the teacher in the classroom took a big cardboard box like from a refrigerator and surrounded her desk with it in the classroom to get her to stop doing that. Now, she was diagnosed just a couple of years ago in Mm -hmm. her
2: 40s. Hmm.
0: Um, But she spoke about a lot of the things that happened to her because people didn't ask why. They just judged her behavior and tried to get her to stop doing things that made other people feel uncomfortable.
1: You talk about making other people feel uncomfortable. I think we've my husband and I have had a huge... Um, learning curve and a lot of growth because we have realized some of the things we wanted our son to stop doing was because it was embarrassing us. And when you take a step back and realize, stop being so prideful. Why do I care what these total strangers think about what my son is doing? He is having so much fun. He's loving this. He's just embracing who he is. It is a beautiful way to look at the world.
0: Yes. And and I think it's so important, you know, for us to bend over backwards to try to understand the child's perspective. Mm -hmm. So if a child is staring at his fingers or maybe singing a song over and over again, and it looks like it's joyful, and somebody says to the child, hands down, no talking,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: then, and especially if that happens over and over and over again, any human being is going to feel either lousy about themselves Mm -hmm. or going to feel the world is not a fun place to be in if they're, restricted from doing things that actually might be either fun or, as we say in the book, emotionally regulating for them or helpful for them.
1: Right, right.
0: Uh, And and, and again, just going back to adults on the spectrum embracing um, uniquely human, it's because so many of them feel, you know,
1: you may not be autistic, but you're putting your finger on it
0: right here. Yep.
1: Right, right. No, for sure. And I love that you talked about the the study with why were kids who were so poor, impoverished living in Africa, mentally, emotionally healthy, just as healthy as those living in affluent neighborhoods and that trust and the parenting. And that, I think, is just really the key. All right. So we have to take a quick break. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about these other three ideas in Uniquely Human, and we have a lot more to cover. So stay with us. Welcome back to Celebrating the Spectrum. We are talking to Dr. Barry present and our producer, Ryan, was giving me the little nod, like, I, I need to say something, too. And he was really, this was resonating with him, what you were saying about the why. So, Ryan, what what were you thinking here? Well, I thought it
2: was really brilliant you're talking about no one ever asked the why and the importance of asking the why. And what I was thinking in my mind was I, I learned a lot about asking why in college. You know, we learn about asking why professionally. But do we ever really learn about asking why to our families, to our children? Mm-hmm. And in this context of autistic people, but also just to all of our families
0: absolutely and and it, it is so important and but we have to create the space to ask why because sometimes what happens is if we judge before trying to understand why a person is saying that or mm-hmm. behaving in that way then that allows us to dismiss it okay so you know if if a teenager is kind of quote unquote arguing with you well do we say well why are you upset about that as opposed to stop arguing if we just judge it as oh well she's being or he's being argumentative let's just stop it right as opposed to is something going on in school today that upset you you just seem to be very edgy right now
2: right i think a lot so, of the times it's 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 a let's let's get this to stop let's get the yelling to stop instead of asking why
0: absolutely and and especially if You are kind of emotionally upset, Um, and if there is that spiral of either anger or anxiety, we're much less likely to think about the why. Yes, we we want the person to stop or get out of here. I can't listen to you anymore. As opposed to you know, I'm so sorry you're feeling so terrible. I I wish you wouldn't say that to me. But why do you feel so terrible? Mm -hmm. Um, It's I think a challenge, a lifetime challenge for all of us. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. OK, the, the second of those four different ideas in Uniquely Human is teach telepathy. Talk about that. Yeah. One of the
0: issues that uh, a lot of autistic people face um, is kind of really understanding the perspective of another person or how does another person feel about this? And that, that, that little phrase comes from a, um, a story that I'll share with you very quickly. Uh, and it was a young man, a teenager many years ago, who was having problems carrying on conversations and he felt like he just could not be in the flow of conversation. And he said, well, I know why I can't. And I, I asked him why. And he said, because you people who are not autistic know how to read each other's minds. <laughs> um, so, so his explanation was that social communication and conversation seemed so easy for other people because we could read each other's minds, but he didn't know how to do that. Um, so teaching telepathy is uh, maybe not the best way of saying it, but it's to help people on the spectrum to understand other people might feel differently, have a different perspective, to help them understand why non-autistic people, in many cases, do what they do and say what they do. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, another very quick story. This was a middle school child I was consulting to. um, And he thought that all of his teachers hated him after the first few weeks of middle school. Um, And I met with him and I asked him why. And the, the nice thing about so many People on the spectrum, um, that you could ask him a direct question, you get a direct answer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and he said to me, Well, all my teachers hate me. And I said, Well, it's only the second week of school. Why do you think all your teachers hate you? And he said, Well, that's because they're teaching stuff I'm not interested in, and not one of them likes the New England Patriots. (laughs) 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 And he interpreted that as because he didn't understand that. Wait a second. Some of his friends in school also may not like what's being taught, you know? And maybe some of his friends in school are Patriots fans and but they understand that in school the teachers are not there to teach about the Patriots. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Unless it's it's a cool teacher. So the teaching (laughs) telepathy piece is trying to understand kind of the perspective emotional perspective, a cognitive perspective, where another person's coming from so you don't misinterpret what's going on.
1: And and is that
0: something that can be taught? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I have friends, and and I didn't mention this yet, I mean, one of the huge areas of my personal growth as a professional is I hang around and hang out with a lot of autistic people. Mm -hmm. I have close friends who are autistic, and some of them, and this is going to be a surprise to you and maybe blow the mind of some of your listeners, okay. some of my friends on the spectrum, I mean, are more sensitive and more insightful as to how a person might be interpreting a situation than some of my so-called typical or neurotypical friends. And if you ask me why, if you say, wait a second, I thought the neurology in autism doesn't allow for that, mm-hmm. many people on the spectrum... Um, especially those that have more advanced language and have a lot of support in their lives. They work really hard at understanding themselves and understanding other people. They literally study that, and that develops an insight that some of us don't have because they work so hard at understanding this is difficult for me, and I need to practice it. I need to read about it. Um, so just another quick story. Um, and uh, yeah, this is in the book. Uh, a number of years ago, I was consulting to a three-year-old in a home, and, and the dad wasn't there, but he was coming home from work. And the mom said to me, oh, my husband will be home soon, by the way. He's on the spectrum. He has Asperger's. And he was an investment banker in New York City, okay? <laughs> this is up in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, and he comes home, and he says to me, uh, well, I think your wife, uh, my wife mentioned that I'm uh I've been diagnosed with Asperger's, and he just said right away, he said, I want to tell you, you know, economics, numbers, that comes to me like breathing air. Understanding people, I need to study this. I need to read books mm. about understanding facial expressions. I need to learn how to read the subtle cues that other people are giving. So he's one of these people that could pass for, in most cases, not obviously autistic, right. okay, mm-hmm. but I hear that again from a lot of friends I have and, and a lot of these friends are giving back to the autism community now that that they say they work so hard at it that's why they become good at it almost like from a understanding cognitive perspective yes
1: yeah yeah no I that's amazing I love that celebrate enthusiasm this i love this wow. and you know and you could say obsessions or high focus areas of interest that kind of thing i love how you say celebrate enthusiasms you, when i've done this autism acceptance assembly at my son's school, I start out with some pictures of like Elon Musk and who knows what a Tesla is, you know, and they're all like, oh, we have a Tesla. And it just kind of puts it in a different realm for them. But talk about the celebrate enthusiasm and why this is so important for parents and for all of us.
0: Yeah. And and this is a a wonderful example of looking through a different lens. Um, So, you know, let me give an example. We have we have a little expressive art summer camp that we had in June. And at the end of the summer camp, a young man who I think he's 12, absolutely loves dinosaurs, knows everything about all of those eras that I can't pronounce, mm-hmm. you know, and all of that stuff. So. And he was about to go on a trip with his mother that they do every summer um, using their camper, going around the country to archaeological sites where dinosaur <laughs> uh, dinosaurs were found, dinosaur bones were found. He could tell you anything, okay? But it's become such a part of his life, and it's led to other interests in science. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we could go on and on about when we find something that – a a child or a person on the spectrum loves. It opens all kinds of doors for learning. It opens all kinds of doors for building trust with mm-hmm. that person. Now, going back to what we said earlier, in some cases, as you said, these were the term that I use is pathologized. They were thought of as bad stuff. Right. Okay. we got to stop that obsessive behavior. we got to stop that incessant talking about that topic. What is now being found is that not only in terms of the person's mental health, but something as concrete as employment, that if we respect and provide the opportunities to learn and build upon those, as many people now on the spectrum say, the deep interest, mm-hmm. not obsession, right. deep interests. Let's go with the enthusiasms. It makes a person feel good about themselves. And by the way. Is this so unusual? Let's say you go to a party and there are a lot of people there you don't know and you talk back and forth and all of a sudden the other person says, oh, I love to ski in Colorado. Oh, you like to ski
1: in Colorado? I love it as well. Right.
0: We look to connect with people over those common interests and then we get excited about connecting with that person.
1: Why is it so important for parents to do that with their kids?
0: Uh, well, first, the first step is that parents need to push back on some professionals who will make a deep interest something that you shouldn't encourage, mm-hmm. okay? Um, something that you shouldn't let your child talk about, okay? Um, it's important for the trust reason, developing relationship reason. Um, another example, uh, there's a wonderful YouTube video from the UK about a youngster um, who became very interested in flags. And he memorized all the flags of almost all the countries in the United States. And then his parents started getting copies of the flags. And so he would put it all over his bedroom, put it all over the yard. And then he developed this routine of raising a different country flag every morning on the flagpole in their yard. And all the neighbors were really interested in it. And they started coming over and asking them questions. And they found out. It wasn't just the flag. He knew a lot about the culture of the country, the languages of the country. And the mom on this video said, oh, I I thought, uh, I think they first came over thinking that he was into the World Cup, but it had nothing to do with the World (laughs) Cup. He just loved the flags. And so what was so beautiful about that, it was that And they started posting on the Facebook page of the town and that people, when they would see this youngster in the town, they would speak to him. Any new flags? What's going on? It made the connections happen um, as opposed to, and unfortunately, it happens. Uh, it still happens. Oh, he's interested in flags. Well, he needs to earn time to be focused on oh, flags. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, One thing that we talk about in our educational model, which is called the CERTs model, is kids should never have to earn what is joyful and regulating for them. Right. Uh, We don't do that with typically developing kids. Now, yeah, we have special privileges,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, to go the extra mile about something that a child loves to do. But too often it happens in programs um, for autistic kids that everything that they like has to be earned.
1: Right. Um, That's stupid.
0: It is. And, and it's something we would not do with other kids. Right. Um, so the, the enthusiasm piece, there it opens up so many opportunities for learning, for parents connecting with their kids, for brothers and sisters who are not autistic connecting with mm-hmm. their kids. And as kids get older, joining special clubs, science clubs, Lego clubs. So what becomes an assessing topic for a child? Oh, he drives me crazy. All he wants to talk about is his Legos that same child joins a Lego club and he's the top expert in the club.
1: Yeah. Or becomes an engineer and the best engineer out there, you know, talk about the, the uh, story with the license plates, the pictures of the license plates. I love that. In yeah, the book. That,
0: Great. Sorry. One of my favorite teachers. Um, there was a young man uh, who, by the way, graduated high school last year. And this story was about when he was much, much younger in elementary school. Um, he, Loved just spontaneously, when he walked through the parking lot of the school, he would memorize the license plate and what car it was on. Okay? So it's the blue Volvo sedan and the license plate number is so-and-so. The teacher at this time was trying to teach him to read, but using things that he wasn't interested in. So he would lose attention. He would start talking about other things. And then what she said uh, well, I, I kind of suggested it, but she took the ball and ran with it. I said, well, what does he love? What does he talk about a lot? She told me the license plate. And she, um, I said to her, well, where can we go with that? Right. And she said, you know, I think what we could do, I'd have to get permission of the teachers, but let's find out which license plate what, with which car and which staff member that belonged to. And then she had them inter- she had this youngster interview them. About, oh, you know, what do you like to do? What are your hobbies? Um, how many kids do you have? And then they developed a PowerPoint presentation that he gave during an assembly with the permission to show how much he knew, but it gave him the social opportunity to speak to people, and it really capitalized on his strength and his enthusiasm. So, what seemed to be this quirky thing, he memorized license plates that went with cars became this big big project with that he had written he, had, he wrote it up and he read it and put he was thrilled to be able to and this is development of literacy skills of typing into powerpoint who the person was what they loved to do and he was reading it all to everybody so this became the fire in his belly to learn to read right. much more complex
1: Uh, i just i loved that story because it was well you and that teacher that you said who ran with the idea figuring out a way to make this work and that was huge i mean look at all of the good that came from that not just for him but for the student body and the teachers too Uh, right okay exactly that's what we're after yeah no it is it is okay so find it what is that is this like the it factor that we talk about
0: yeah yeah this is the it factor and this is a uh A story that I had actually learned from a parent, and I was doing a workshop in um, Vancouver, British Columbia, many years ago. And we were talking about, during my workshop, don't you just see some people who know how to connect with people on the spectrum? Where others, it's uncomfortable, they're both getting anxious, it's just not working. And this mom raised her hand, and she goes, well, in our family, we call it the it factor, that there are some people – Unfortunately, not enough, but there are some people who just get it. They know how to communicate with my son. My son feels comfortable with them, and they really do well together, okay? And she's talking about instructional assistants or paraprofessionals in schools. Mm -hmm. Um, And she also spoke about, you know, but he's had a couple of paraprofessional aides that when he would – at the beginning of the school year, he would come home more anxious than he had left in the morning, and she said, you know, those people, you know, should not be working with our kids. Um, and I said to her, um, oh, yeah, those are the it people, right? <laughs> 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 but she, she also spoke about um, the it-like people, meaning that they want to help, they feel a little uncomfortable, but they want to learn from parents, and they want to learn how to really support a student well. Um, and she said, you know, I would take an it-like person any time because they got the approach and the attitude and the open-mindedness of wanting to develop a relationship with my son. But And I've, I've consulted and I've seen itless people where usually an itless person with a child with autism, it's all about discipline. Mm-hmm. Why aren't you listening to me? You need to sit down, okay? You're going to go to timeout. Um, and it's more about their feeling a lack of control over the student than it is about helping the student. Um, so the it factor is has to do with people, but the it factor also has to do with classrooms and programs. Um, I've been working with a family just recently that in their part of the country, they could not find a school for their six-year-old, that it was all discipline-oriented. They mm-hmm. felt they didn't understand how special he was. And he had some real strengths this is a student, and the strengths were being ignored. Um, and they were looking for an it school. <laughs> you know, they were looking for a place that they felt would get him, would respect him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm the last professional to say, oh, just pick up and move anywhere in the country because the school could change, the teacher could change. Um, but they, and they had the resources, but they were interested in, you know, trying to find schools with a different philosophy that they felt was a best fit for their child, okay? Mm -hmm. So the it factor also goes for that. And it gets back to the very beginning of what you said. Mm -hmm. Looking at your gut and saying, is this the right school? Is this the right person? Is this the right teacher? So important.
1: Yeah, so my son started, he went into mainstream public school last year and he would tell me, oh, he loves the aid Crystal, loves Crystal, loves Crystal. So I had not met Crystal. So. I go walking on one day, we'd had a bad morning, we're late, and we're walking to the hall, and this woman says, Asher, hi. And um, she's like, I'm Crystal. And I'm like, Crystal is a tall brunette bombshell. I'm like, no wonder Asher loves working with Crystal. But I, I thought it was so funny. But what you were saying, you know, the it like people, I feel like I have been that person. I have been a little bit uncomfortable, but want to learn and now just shoved into this world that, you know, I'm in my late 40s. We just we had no exposure to any of it when I was a kid. And that is one of the reasons we started the podcast. I want that changed, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, but that factor that is that is everything for your child in a school.
0: Yeah. Oh, and now, if I might say now, you got it because you understand. From your experience you Mm -hmm. can give back to others and that's so important
1: yeah it is it is I feel like it is important for those of us who are learning so much to share what we've learned and, and keep the conversations going so we only have a few more minutes and this I feel like is a really important question how have things changed over the the decades of your career when it comes to the perception and how we're embracing diversity, how we are are embracing inclusion, you called it a climate of, of a, a tsunami. Talk about that. Yes.
0: Yeah. And, and, well, the changes have been dramatic, especially in the last 10 to 15 years. And um, I will say, without hesitation, it's primarily due to autistic people being at the helm and saying, This is my experience. This is what is helpful for me. This is what is not helpful for me. Um, I mean, even at at a legal level, the the Autistic Self Advocacy Network, which thankfully endorsed my book because they're very critical about what they will endorse. Right. Wonderful people, professionals, all on the spectrum, to my understanding. Even their legal department um, has lawyers on the spectrum. Um, and now there are, we just interviewed in our podcast um, about a month, month and a half ago, a developmental pediatrician and family practitioners on the spectrum from Vermont. So the big change is embracing identity, but we're still learning how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, I, I talk about the autism bubble. Those of us who read within autism or neurodiversity and those of us who go to conferences, but it's still mainstream society that we really have to get to. And it's not just the stories of, you know, a few years ago, the autistic uh, kid on the basketball team who never plays, but they allowed him to play and he scores six three-pointers in a row. Um, it, it's really interesting. The uh, A lot of autistic people say, you know, enough with this inspiration porn. Yeah, I've heard that too, <laughs> the
1: disability porn.
0: Let's talk about everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and helping people on the spectrum of quality of life, yes, those stories are good, right, but they're rare and let's go back to just understanding every person as an individual who needs to be respected, who needs to be loved, where we have to understand you know that they need to be supported in their sense of self emotionally as much as any human being does. Um, and let's be sensitive to that. So th- this is, and, and you know, one other aspect that I'm very involved in is understanding that this can be done in so many creative ways. So um, theater programs, the Miracle Project out of Los Angeles, which I'm involved with. Um, Spectrum Theater Ensemble in Providence, which is a professional theater company with both autistic and neurotypical actors, including playwrights who are autistic. Um, So now it's expanded beyond, okay, let's have good educational programs to help autistic people. It's kind of like in the flow of life, through music, through the arts, Mm -hmm. through meaningful employment, let's make sure we are seeing the strengths and the contributions of autistic people. Um, So important. And some of you, some listeners not familiar with this might say, oh, the contributions of autistic people? Well, you know, you spoke about... uh, Tesla. But mm-hmm. uh, you spoke about Tesla, in, in reference to Elon Musk, right? Nikola Tesla was on the spectrum. Interesting. The person who invented the alternating current huh. was, if you look at it, at an historical biography of him, um, I, I don't have time to tell you the story of. of uh, actually going on a a Nikola Tesla tour in Zagreb, um, Croatia, a number of years ago. And and the person on the tour spoke about how unique he was. And he always had the same thing to eat in the same bar every day at 515 every day. Um, And he was considered a genius, brilliant. And then he moved to the United States. But the point is, um, and let me plug my dear friend Steve Silberman, the book Mm Neurotribe, where he talks about the history of neurodiversity up to the present and what's happening. Some of the most major contributions that have been done in science and society, a certain segment of those were done by people on the spectrum who think out of the box. Some Mm -hmm. people credit the whole genre of science fiction as being developed by people on the spectrum in the late 1800s and early uh, 1900s. Um, It's fascinating when you read this that people who think differently lead us down different paths in inventions in science in music in so many different ways.
1: Oh, I love that. My extended family, Asher our son, he's the first autistic kid in the family extended family that we know of. And so we've all been trying to learn as much as we can and they've been so supportive and and my older sister Wanda. said she sent me a text after we did this little kind of lesson with the family. Just some things we'd learned so far. And and she said, you know, I bet every one of the world's greats in history was on the spectrum. <laughs> like yeah. it's so amazing. You know, because of these intense interests and, and their just dedication to perfecting that one thing, which I I love that. I thought it was really beautifully said.
0: Yes. And and it's not always, you know, the people who have the most sophisticated language or write in sophisticated ways. So let me just share a very quick story Mm -hmm. Um, on our most recent podcast. One of our guests was um, an Ojibwe autistic woman from Minnesota. Um, And she spoke about the fact that her uncle hardly ever spoke, probably he's passed away now, but probably was probably would have been diagnosed on the spectrum, but he was respected In this Native American community for his beadwork and I guess somebody who's an expert in beadwork just wrote a book about him with lots of photos of his work and she said you know there's not even a term for disability in the Ojibwe language Mm. we just embrace people in our community and my uncle definitely was on the spectrum he hardly spoke but he had this incredible talent and was highly respected for that
1: Yeah. In a way, we're just embracing excellence. How hard is that? Right. Right. And creativity. And creativity. No, that's wonderful. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave with us? Um,
0: I, I think, you know, it's just I always like to encourage parents of very, very young kids, you know, to say that there are no limits, there's no ceiling here. Mm -hmm. It's all about really, really supporting your child, connecting with your child, expanding upon the enthusiasms, you know, trusting your gut, connecting not only with other parents, but connecting and learning from autistic people. Now, you know, with some autistic people, you're going to say, no, that's not relevant for my kid, I don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know you're talking about people who, in many cases, have gone through years of the experiences that your child is experiencing now. Um, that that's so important um and and to work on diversity, keep on educating the public
2: mm-hmm.
0: that you know difference is okay. you know it's okay to look at things differently um while we are supporting kids and being successful in the mainstream.
1: Dr. Brazant, where can people get your book uniquely human?
0: Um on Amazon. Um, from my publisher, Simon & Schuster. Um, a little plug here also. Uh, it's It just came out a few months ago in the updated and expanded edition.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the original was 2015. It just came out a few months ago. But with the first one, I was not given the opportunity to do the audiobook. This one I did. Oh, great. So I, narr- I narrate the audiobook the revised and expanded edition and it truly is revised and expanded almost 100 pages longer many many more stories um and uh, also listen to our podcast we have the most amazing guests and my co-host Dave Finch who's autistic right and an audio engineer he's doing his enthusiasm Um, he's as funny as can be and we have a good time
1: he is funny no thank you so much thank you for joining us I've learned so much I love the book and you know our podcast is sponsored but it's not sponsored by this so I get to say whatever I want which is amazing (laughs) and and uh, that's an unsponsored plug is what that is so uniquely human and uh, yeah I loved it and then uniquely human the podcast wherever you get your podcasts right Exactly, yes. Okay, well, we look forward to what you do in the future. We can't wait to watch.
0: Thank you so much, Debbie. This was a pleasure.
1: Thank you. And Celebrating the Spectrum is a KSL podcast. A gun in the face.
0: Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought...